Welcome to Solo BG, your podcast for solo and cooperative board games. Here you will find everything you need to know about your favorite and most recent games. Art, rules, gameplays and interviews. Here is your host, Derek Rodriguez. Hi, welcome to Solo BG. My name is Derek and tonight it's a great night because we're going to talk about amazing, beautiful one of my favorite games, that it's an amazing game, that I really love everything about this game. And tonight, I with my friends, uh, Jonathan and Caleb. Jonathan, what have you played this week, my friend? Um, well, I tried a new uh, game I picked up, and it, I think it'll fall into our party game category, but it's called Antidote. Um, okay. And we played it with two players, but I think it'll be better, you know, getting more people playing that. It plays up to seven. But basically, you're all these scientists in a lab, and... Um, some chemical spills and you don't know what it is or what the antidote is. So you're okay. trading cards with people, um, you know, discarding cards, trying to get down to the one chemical substance you think the antidote is. And at the end of the game, you all reveal what you picked. You find out what it is and then you get points um, positive if, if you got the right thing or you lose points if you got the wrong one. But you mm -hmm. just play that like that, you know, after three rounds, whoever has the most points wins. Um, but it's a quick kind of, I mean, it's almost like a social deduction game, but you're not really trying to figure out who each person is you're trying to figure out um you know what this one hidden card is by looking at other players cards and trading back and forth and, and doing some other actions so um okay. it was a fun like 20 30 minute game um so i think we played like all three rounds in about an hour so it, can, was, it was pretty can, fun though and it was kind of a cool theme can you die on that game i mean i guess technically you do die if you pick the wrong drug for <laughs> the antidote you die of <laughs> for being poisoned so <laughs> then i need to play that game what about so, you Caleb? what have you been playing uh i played a couple of new games this week uh both of them have been on my list for wanting to try for a long time but i haven't uh had the chance to, to pick them up so i picked up a game called cockroach poker which oh, yeah. is uh, another party game we had some people over so we played it uh, at sort of an early thanksgiving party we had and uh it's basically just a bluffing game it's very stripped down it's pure bluffing Basically, you have a hand of cards which have different types of creepy crawly things like, you know, bugs and bats and rats. Uh, and you it's very simple. You choose a card and you give it to another player face down and you tell them what that card is. Now they have a choice. They can either accept the card and they if they accept the card, they have to basically say that they agree or disagree with what you're claiming the card is. And of course, then they flip it face up. And if they caught you bluffing, you know, you have to keep the card. If maybe you told the truth and they thought you were bluffing, then they have to keep the card. Um, or okay. if they don't want to call you on your bluff, um, they can pass the card, and in which case they get to look at the card themselves and see if you were bluffing, and then they give the card to another player, um, and then they you know, can tell the truth or they can do their own bluff. Um, so you, you end up in these fun situations where uh, as the card gets passed around, everybody who passes is sort of in on this lie. And it's uh, really fun as the card gets passed around the table and somebody says, yeah, this card is a bat. The next person says, yep, it's a bat. The next person says, oh, yeah, it's definitely a bat. And then the fourth person is <laughs> just stuck thinking, are, are all my friends lying to me? Or, you okay. know, why would they do this? Uh, and then it has another clever mechanism, which uh, I, I don't think I normally would be drawn to, but I think for a light bluffing party game that's really quick to explain for people, uh, I think plays well. And that is that yeah. uh, only one person in the game loses. So most games you're trying okay. to play. Who is the winner? This time, everybody at the table wins except for one poor schmuck 
uh, who has a number of cards uh, in front of them. So basically, as you start losing the bluffs or uh, you know getting cards in front of you, you might have two rats, three rats, and once you hit four rats or four of any kind, uh, you lose the game and the game is over. So very quickly, your friends start to conspire against you. So I thought it was a really great uh, game. Uh, it's like a ten dollar game on Amazon, and I would uh, highly recommend it. Sounds fun, like for a you know a drinking, like I said, drinking night or a, or a party with friends, like to play it and have fun uh, and making some people you know lost in the game. So it sounds like yep. a like a fun mechanic, you know, different. Uh, I've been playing this week uh, with my wife. One of one of the, it's kind of an old game from 2011, 2012, I believe. Yeah, it's from Fantasy Flight Eldritch Horror. My wife and I we've been playing it, and oh my god, that game is long. Uh, yeah. Each each time session is about. It says the time on the box that is two to four hours, and they're very accurate with the with the time frame because it is indeed um, very um, long game. Like you're taking turns, you're trying to get your characters uh, with more powerful. In that way, you can uh, try to feed all the ancient ones, or you know, the great Cthulhu or whoever you're trying to defeat and uh, investigate. Uh, I like the the difference from Eldritch Horror and other games like Arkham Horror or like Mansions of Madness in the aspect that here you can be all around the world uh, trying to succeed in investigations and missions, and you go to certain regions of the world to get uh, yourself more powerful or to get more influence or to get more lore, which I think I, I like that mechanic from the game. Uh, also, it, it's different in the aspect that you died, but you don't lo- you are, you're not out from the game. So you have a character, and if you died, you just accelerate uh, one uh, movement on the Doom Tracker, and if the Doom Tracker at certain points reach zero, well, the ancient one will awaken, the world will get destroyed. But uh, in the meantime, when that happens, if you die, you just pick up another character and you bring it to this world of the Hellrich Horror, and you can keep playing and playing. And it says that it plays one to eight players, but oh my god, I mean, if we played two players and it took us like three or four hours in the easiest mission. I'm pretty sure if you play eight players, it will take you all night easily, like 12 hours or something, yeah. which is, it's it's a fun game, but it's it's a long game. But anyway, now tonight is a turn for, like I said before, a great game that I'm very excited to talk about because this game, uh, I remember when I saw it, like probably a year and a half, two years ago when it came out on a, on a, on a game store, I never knew, I didn't knew at that time anything about the game, but as soon as I saw the box, I was like, I want it. And then I played with you, Caleb, and I didn't regret at all. Like, it's a beautiful game, great mechanics, and it's designed by Jamie Stegmeier and his side, uh, published by Stonemeyer Games. And it also has a solo mode by Aroma Factory. But before we start to talk about the game, let's jump to see what it's in box and cover. Box and cover. So I think the first thing that's going to stand out to anybody when you look at the side box is the, uh, the cover art. Uh, by Jacob Rosowski. It definitely has like a the kind of a feel of something you'd see in like an art museum of like a watercolor painting or something. It shows yeah. the, uh, the big mechs, which of course are a big part of the game, uh, sort of in the background. There's guns firing off and you see the battles uh, sort of in the distance. And then up close, you see the farmers who are uh, collecting uh, hay or whatever uh, at their farm. And you can see the disconnect between the power of those mechs and then the poor people who are uh, still trying to uh, you know, make their living uh, as farmers. Um, so that art is very prominent on the cover. Um, and if you look at the back of the box, it shows basically the components that you're going to get in the game. Uh, so you can see the huge board and all the player mats, uh, and then 
Uh, it has an image of all the little minis that you'll get in this game, and there's uh, a good number of minis. There's um, five different factions, so that each of them have a leader, and the leader uh, pictures in the back are very evocative of the theme, and also you can yeah. see the different different versions of the mechs in the back. So it's definitely one of those games that's uh, going to catch your attention when you see it on the shelf, and then when you see all of the uh, you know the components that are going to come along with the game. Uh, I think it's something that's uh, pretty desirable uh, for most board gamers. Yeah, yeah. What do you think about the size, Jonathan? I always ask you about the size because you're the expert in that aspect of the boxes. Uh -oh. <laughs> what do you think about, <laughs> what do you think that about means, the size but... of the box? Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but I think, you know, it's, it's manageable for the game. Um, I think it probably falls in line with a lot of um, the games of this weight where you'll get, you know, a lot of plays out of it. Um, I mean, it's a little bit more rectangular than some of the other ones, but I feel like it still fits pretty well on most gaming storage areas or gaming yeah. shelves. And actually, like, you know, looking at my shelf here, kind of, I, I mean, I feel like it's probably about the same size as like a Pandemic Legacy box. So and even mm -hmm. that, it's not that big. So um, I think it'd be very manageable for, you know, game collectors to keep this one in the collection without having to, you know, move too much around or to, to work around it like, like some yeah. other games that we have. Yeah, it's nothing like it's nothing like crazy like Gloomhaven or even the Reckoners when we talk about uh, on the last episode that it was a big box and we were moving the things around. Uh, it's a, a little bit smaller probably than that, but oh my god, like Caleb mentioned it before, the art is beautiful. And like I said on the first section of the show, uh, I remember when I saw this game a year and a half probably on a, on the game store that we go, and since I saw the the picture of the game and the game by itself, I was like, I want it. I, on that time, I didn't know anything about the game. I didn't know what it was about. I didn't know the mechanics, nothing. But just because of the box, it just happened to me. Like, I won this game. And the art is beautiful. I can tell you, from all the games that I have played and from all the boxes of the games that I have seen, by far, this is, for me, the most beautiful and amazing high-quality uh, cover let's say, from all the games that we have played. I don't know what you guys think about that, but it's just, just the art is, is beautiful. It is beautiful. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, and it says that it plays one to five players and that it plays 14 years plus. And I, I kind of agree with the 14 year plus because the game, it's, it's complex. Now, uh, now that we know the mechanics and we know how the game plays and that we have played the games uh, in different uh, times as a group and also as a solo experience, is definitely one of those games that it's it's gonna take you a little bit to to get it, especially the solo mode, the automa, the, they call it the automata or automa uh, mode. And it also says that it plays 115 minutes per session. What do we think about the about the game length? Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, about the time length of the game. Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. I will say with this game, uh, every time we've ever ended uh, a game, I've always felt like, oh man, I wish I had more time to do whatever I wanted. Yeah. I've never felt like it's overstated its welcome. So honestly, I've never looked at my watch as we're playing. So maybe yeah. it's longer than that, but it doesn't seem like it's that long of a game. Um, you know, when I think of a two no. or four hour game, like you mentioned with Elder Tor, it kind of yeah. sends shivers down my spine. And th this game doesn't seem like that, even though it's saying on the box it's about two hours. Uh, it's just such yeah. a, mm -hmm. you know, a free flowing I game. I agree because, like you said, with some games, uh, you there are good games, but they can get long. And when while you're playing. You kind of want to finish already. You want to either succeed or, or lost. Uh, but because those games tend to go very longer. But in this game, it's something different. It's, it's the, yeah, I mean, in, in particular, I have the feeling that we're playing and it can be two hours or three hours. And I just want to keep playing 
the game. I mean, I don't, I don't want the game to finish. So I guess that's, uh, that's what makes this game very particular uh, and very unique uh, in, that as- in that aspect, I guess. Uh, but now that we talk about the boxing cover, let's go and see the amazing components because they're very good quality. So let's jump inside the box. Inside the box. So now that we are inside the box, let me tell you guys, I love the components of this game. You will have two, re- two rule books, one for the regular game and one for the Automa. You will have the reference guide. You will have the game board, which is beautiful. And Jonathan will tell us about more about the game board in a little bit. You will have five dual-layer play mats for each uh, character or each player. You will have 80 custom wooden resource tokens. So all the tokens for this game, uh, I mentioned on previous episodes, that I really appreciate when a game brings wooden tokens or um, metal tokens or whatever tokens that are not uh, just cardboard. And side brings a lot of wood and tokens that you will use your workers uh the upgrades that you're using during the game they are wooden the oil the food all the different uh things that you can produce in the game they're going to be made from wood all the tokens that are going to be on the popular track they're going to be wood too now the max you they will include your max that they're miniatures that they look amazing that if you like to paint miniatures this is this is going to be a great game for you too the main characters of each faction, also as a miniature, looks very good too. You will have the dials, the two power dials that will allow you to fight. One of the things that I like from the components of the games also is that recently it's very common on Kickstarter and in other games that they will sell you the base game, but also if you want to have an expansion in order to play it uh, solo, well, you will need to get that expansion or you will need to uh, you know, pledge for that expansion on Kickstarter too. But in this case... Uh, it includes already on the game. So you will have the automata cards that they will allow you to play the game solo. Now, uh, Jonathan, the game board, please tell us more about that because it's beautiful. Yeah, so the game board itself um, allows for some extra accessories, and I can talk about some of those as well. Um, But I think the coolest one is uh, if you flip over the game board that you get um, with the regular scythe game, you know, on the reg, the main size, it has the full map um, where it's obvious that that is the entire thing. There's the borders and the edge of the map. If you flip that over, um, it's enlarged. So the back of that board is actually only about two thirds of the map where you can add an extension to it to make it on a bigger scale to see that board. And it um, kind of makes it more of an epic, um, you know, bigger view Gameplay. of yeah. the game. Yeah. Yeah, it, so I that, guess it, it, it brings memory like the, like the Star Wars Armada, not to play something epic like on a huge table, and you will have the, the amazing, a huge board to move around. So I guess that's what, that's, that was their intention, I'm, I'm pretty sure, from Stormfire Games to, to bring the, the game uh, for the fans in a more epic level. And I think, you know, especially if you have, um, you know, like we do the, the gaming tables, I think it's cool to have, if you have that space to use that other side with the board extension, if you have the room for it versus just the regular board by itself. Yeah. Now, I need to mention that on this game, there are, there are some uh, pieces that they will be cardboard. So the, the, the coins that you're going to use for, uh, you know, during the game, at the, at the end of the game, they, go, they will be points for you. They're made of cardboard. But beside of, that, beside of that, everything else, it's amazing quality, wooden tokens, and plastic miniatures. Now, if that's the problem, Caleb, tell us more about the upgrades that you can get from the game. Yeah, I think one of the things that I like about uh, Stonemeyer games is they really support their games. So 
Scythe has been, you know, super successful. It's, you know, one of the top ranked games on uh, BGG. So part of it is just because of the popularity. It makes it, you know, worthwhile for them to do this. But, you know, they've set up uh, lots of upgrades that you can purchase from their website. So you can purchase yeah. uh, metal coins uh, at actually a pretty reasonable rate. Uh, uh-huh. They also have, like, special encounter tokens. Uh, there's also third parties who have developed uh, special Scythe tokens. So you can kind of bling your game out if that's your thing. And you can just choose the ways you uh, in which you want to make it stand out and make it better. So I think that's uh, a nice option for people. Uh, one, of th- one of the things that I did that's actually a super cheap thing uh, mm-hmm. to do for the game, uh, which I think is a hack worth mentioning, is there's lots of components uh, and, and you know figuring out how to organize them is always a, a bear. So you know for a while I had everything in baggies and you know I know where, I know where you're going. I know where you're going. And, and yeah. no, let, let me tell you, let me tell you, I love the idea. I love yeah. the idea. It's great. Yeah, it Keep works really well. So, you know, you have, I had, I don't know, 20 baggies or something carrying all these different types of components, which you know, it took a while to put away and, you know, it didn't look nice and all that. Um, so, you know, they have things like the Broken Token Company that makes special inserts for the box. And, you know, mm-hmm. I have one of those for Gloomhaven. And, you know, sometimes you pay almost as much for the, you know, special yeah. organizer that you do for the, the game. Um, but yeah. a cheap hack that I found online that worked really well is to go to uh, Michael's or Hobby Lobby or Joanne Fabrics or one of those craft stores. And pick up, I don't know the exact name of them, but they're like little maybe three inch in diameter uh, bead containers. So yeah. they're they're organized in such a way that like they screw onto each other. So one bead container screws onto the bottom of another bead container, which screws onto the bottom of another one. So you can sort of stack them up as high as you want and you, you, know, you have a lid on top. Um, so I have one that basically is, is the, the width of the box and all the different components are stored there. Um, so basically, as you unscrew them, your setup is done for all the components. Uh, you have little trays for each one now uh, that you don't have to transfer from a bag to a tray or anything. It's just right there. Um, and mm-hmm. then, you know, when you're done, you just <laughs> put things yeah. back in the, uh, you know, the trays and zip it, you know, uh, screw it back up. So uh, versus going for one of those big, expensive broken tokens, you know, I think for 12 or 15 bucks, you can get enough of those bead containers that, uh, you know, it really speeds up the, uh, the setup for the game. Yeah, especially for this game, like you said, the setup making it uh, super fast. I also stole your idea already and apply it to other of my board games, and it works awesome. Like I was, I was doing my research right now where we were talking about the, all the different broken token box uh, options. Uh, so the broken token, for example, is uh, $58 on Amazon if you get the organizer for the for the game. And the game itself, side, it's uh, on Amazon. Uh, 55. So you're right. I mean, even it's more expensive than the broken token box organizer. The upgrades are $23, which is not bad at all. And yeah. that w- you will have the little oil and the little uh, wood pieces and the food, like more in more detail. But honestly, I do think that this game, the way that it comes with the components, is just great. Like I, it's, 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 you don't need to get these ones if you don't. I mean, if you want to be more fancy, I guess during the game, well, yeah, you can get them, but. I honestly don't think the game is just beautiful with the components that it, that it's come with. Yep. So now that we talk about the components, let's go and see how the game plays. Game play. Okay, so sometimes when we talk about these games, we can give you a complete uh, synopsis of how the game plays from beginning to end. I think for side, that's probably not a great use of our time for the listeners. Uh, come on, Caleb, teach us the game. You can, you can do it in 12 minutes. Come on. Yeah, well, there's definitely a learning curve. I have some things to say about that later, but uh, okay. I'll give you just sort of a high-level overview. So okay. this is, I guess, what would be considered a Euro game, even though it does have some theme and it does have some 
combat to it. I guess the best way I can describe it is what you do on your turn. So uh, every player is going to have a, a faction that's assigned to them, and you're going to have a player mat. And the player mat is uh, broken up into four sections. And on your turn, you're going to choose one of those sections. And each section has a top row action and a bottom row action. So uh, every player basically has the same actions in play, but they are mixed up. So my top row action for, uh, let's say, moving might, might be um, paired up with a build action for the bottom row, but your move might be uh, have a, a deploy action for your bottom row. So we all sort of have the same th uh, things to do, but the economies are a little bit different uh, and we're all maybe a little bit more geared towards uh, taking a different strategy. Uh, yeah. And every time it's your turn, you're going to have to change your section. So you can't just keep repeating and spamming the same action every time. You sort of have to move back and forth if you want to come back to the same action. So you'll do things like move, uh, increase your power, uh, produce resources on hexes that you have control of. You can trade resources, uh, things like that. Uh, and the top row actions are uh, something you're going to do basically uh, every turn. Uh, and then sometimes you can do the bottom row action because the bottom row action is typically more expensive. So you might have to pay three wood to build, for example. Um, so, you know, sometimes you might actually skip that, that bottom row. Um, and then basically as you uh, produce resources and you uh, uh, increase your power, you're going to be moving around the board and expanding your uh, colony. And as you start bumping into other players, there may be some combat involved. And we'll talk about how the combat works um, in a little bit. But basically, as a result of combat, as a result of uh, sort of area control, uh, how many resources you gain, and then something that they call popularity, uh, you're going to end up with uh, basically earning stars. Um, and the stars are basically achievements for doing various things. So if you get your popularity up high enough, you'll earn a star. If you get your power up high enough, you'll earn a star. Um, if you, if you want to fight, you'll earn a star. And eventually, somebody's going to earn six stars. And that will trigger the end game. Uh, and at the end, basically, depending on your popularity, you're going to have a multiplier effect to everything you've done in the game. So the person who gets six stars doesn't necessarily win the game. Um, yeah, that, ha that happens to me the other day. That yeah. happened to you, yeah, in our last game. <laughs> um, so basically, you you sort of have to manage a lot of things, and that sort of, it makes it sort of a complex game, um, you know, from a scoring perspective, because you look around the board and it's not always clear. Who's winning? I think especially when you first start to learn the game, uh, your yeah. instinct is to race for those six stars. But you got to keep in mind that that's just the end game trigger. That's not the, the end goal. Um, so basically, the player with the most uh, money at the end of the game is going to win. Uh, like I said, you're going to earn points in different categories, and a lot of those are multiplied by your power level. Uh, or your, not power level, your uh, popularity level. So it's yeah. sort of in your best interest to keep popular among the locals, uh, and that'll earn you the most points for victory. Yeah, what do you think about the gameplay, Jonathan? I mean, it's it's very interesting, unique, don't you, don't you think, like, the mechanics? Yeah, I like that we can almost all do something different and still um, feel like we're, you know, achieving some sort of goal. And there's, you know, so many different options to get those stars. So you don't have to fight if you don't want to, and you can still get six stars. You know, you don't have to be the most popular. There's a lot of different options you, you can do, um, and you can kind of gear that towards what your faction does or what your you know, your leader's ability is um, to, to still get those points to the end of the game. Um, and I think, you know, you mentioned, you know, the last time we played, Derek, you were the one that got six stars, um, but Caleb ended up winning the game. And, you know, going through that whole game, like, you know, we thought you were going to win because you had the military power 
you know, you're kind of dominating that game, but you know, that's, that's not the only thing that determines who wins. So it's kind of balancing those um, yeah. different options and, you know, keeping that popularity to get that extra point boost too. Um, yeah. I, I still, so do I, think, I, I still do think that Caleb did some cheating or something over there because I mean, I was, I was, you know, getting all the stars. I was uh, fighting everybody. Remember I took you out of the, the game mad a few rounds, Jonathan. I took your workers back to yeah. Place. I remember that. I, yep. I I steal your resources, and then I was also trying to fight uh, Caleb, and I was winning. And for some reason, at the end, when we go ahead and, and make all the math for the score, surprisingly, Caleb wins. So I don't know if yeah. he did something around there. Well, I think Scythe is one of those games where every time you play, you learn something. And I think you taught us all a very important lesson. <laughs> is I can remember what was happening. That you, you were sort of marching around that map, stomping on people, taking their yeah. resources and spending them. Um, but that sounds also, like me, yeah. Yeah, yeah it does sound like you. Yeah. <laughs> but you also, you didn't have very many uh, hexes that you controlled. So you sort of took all your people and moved them towards Jonathan. And then you moved them again versus, uh, I think, what gave me the edge in that game, which... <laughs> is only in retrospect. I did not think I was winning when we yeah, started right. the score. Was I was very slow to move out. So I had like one worker here, one worker here, and I was slowly expanding my, uh, I guess, colony or civilization. Um, so at the end, I controlled the factory, which counts for three X's, and I controlled you know six other ones or seven other ones. So uh, that one score alone really gave me a big boost. Um, yeah, I guess now that you mentioned the factory, it's important to talk about the factory killer. Uh, I think yeah. well. There is this thing on the map that it's literally on the middle of the of the whole of the whole world of sight. Let's call it like that. And every time that you go there and you control that middle territory, you you are in the factory. That's what that's what it's called. And then you draw a card from the factory. That that card is usually one of the kind of the same actions that you have in your play map, but better upgraded. So just to give you a, a, a simple example, I guess. If one of your upgrades allows you to move uh, three pieces, uh, each uh, one to each time, uh, with this upgrade you will be able to move four pieces. Let's say so. Going to the factory, it's it's very good. I mean, uh, and on the on the first games that we play, uh, it never got into my mind like I needed to go to the factory. And all the time I was seeing like Caleb wanted to go to the factory, wanted to go to the factory, and that was one of his goals all the all the games. And I never I never got it like why. But now in the last game that we play. Um, I saw that it's a very important thing that you need to do. I mean, uh, it gives you, you know, something to push the players towards, but also gives you options on how you want to stand your ground or if you want to give it up for someone else to get in there. Yeah, and I think also another important thing from the game that we need to talk about the gameplay is, uh, like I mentioned before, you will have in this game included the automata or automa uh, version of the game, which literally allows you to play solo. With that being said, like. The solo gameplay, it's slightly different than the competitive gameplay because you will have all these deck of cards that they're the automa, and you will be flipping those cards, and they will be telling you which actions you can do and where the the enemy or the other player, the AI, is going to move. They transport. They don't move as another fictional player over there. They will transport. Can you explain us a little bit more about that, Caleb? So when you're playing against this automa deck, uh... You know, the game comes with one deck. You can buy extra decks if you want to play against multiple AI opponents. Um, but basically, you have this deck of multi-use cards. So uh, the game is really smart about ramping up. So in the beginning, you'll flip over a card, and there's a green side, and there's a red side. 
And in the beginning, you'll use a green side, and that's sort of like the less uh, antagonistic, or le- it, it's yeah. it's not it's not getting as much bang for its buck on the computer side. Later on, it's really going to ramp up and start getting more um, you know movement or more attack uh, and things like that. Um, it also tells you whether or not you're going to add a star for the uh, AI opponent, and the star in this case uh, that we talked about earlier, earning those achievements. Uh, for the AI, it's more just like a timer, and once you know you play too long the AI is going to yeah, end the game itself. So it sort of acts like a timer so you don't turtle in the corner and just try to uh, you know, hack the game to win in a way that you wouldn't be able to uh, if you were playing a human player. Yeah. And then you basically just run down the card. So there's a move action line, and then there's a line that tells you what the uh, AI player is going to gain. Uh, and then it tells you uh, one, of the, one of the things inside is that you know, when another player who's sitting next to you does a particular kind of action, if you've upgraded your player mat, sometimes you'll get a bonus. So you still can get that bonus um, sort of randomly according to the AI deck. Um, and basically that's how it works. So you'll sort of run through these things, and there's a logic to how you read the card. A lot of times, for example, it might say, um, you know, move, um, and then it'll say slash, you know, maybe attack a, a worker. So you're basically moving down uh, the line of the AI logic. Uh, and as you're doing it, it's going to say, uh, you know, maybe you're going to move, uh, and then it'll say slash, uh, maybe attack a worker, uh, slash attack a mech. And you basically go from left to right and you apply this logic of like, you know, is the AI opponent in a position to be able to do this? And there's rules for determining where they move and how they attack. Uh, and if it's not something that they're eligible to do from their board position, uh, then you move to the next, uh, step and you just sort of play out the computer program, uh, you know, for the computer by yourself physically on the board. And I will say that that part of the game, when I played solo, you know, probably three times does take me out of the experience a little bit. It's not an immersive experience. Um, I think it might be once I was able to internalize those rules and see it. And without having to look at the real book or look at the specific steps, be able to carry out the, uh, the computer opponents, uh, you know, AI movements, Um, But one of the things that takes me out of it, and I understand why it has to be there, is that the computer can sort of move in ways that you can't move. So uh, in order to respond tactically to what the player is doing, the AI rules have the computer players uh, literally teleporting across the board, which, again, sort of takes me out of the moment. But I I do recognize that it's it's a very cleverly designed system. I am glad it's included. Yeah, I'm I'm glad it's included. I've played a few times. There is one thing that I'm going to try definitely for sure next time I play. Uh, it got recommended to me just on BGG, and that is the Sidekick app. Um, I haven't had a chance to, to use it yet, but basically uh, you have a map of your board and the computer. It's just an app you download for your iPad. It will uh, you know do the AI for you. So you tell uh, the app what the position of your board is, and then it tells you how to move the uh, the AI player. So I think that might take some of the lift off of my brain and I can focus on just uh, playing the game from my perspective and not trying to manage uh, my AI opponent. Yeah, actually I tried the app when I was trying to play solo, but I couldn't figure it out. So I don't know if it's because they were still on beta versions, but uh, I couldn't figure it out. Now, the, definitely I agree with you. The most uh, complex part of the uh, solo mode is the, the how the the computer moves pretty much like they, like you said they transport them and they don't move like any other player will move like one x to another one they will jump to na- they call it neighborhoods so adjacent areas on the board and i honestly 
that was it's weird because that was one of the the uh, the parts that I really enjoy from playing solo that I besides uh, trying to see my movements, I needed to put all my attention in how to move the computer player because yep. they were transporting and they were attacking me and they were trying to steal the resources from me. So it's just a great solo experience. And it's it's very unique because we're talking about a competitive game. It's a, a game that is designed in order to be multiplayer and competitive. But solo, it's also a great experience. It's very unique. You will have, like I said before, like we mentioned it, you will have to understand uh, very accurately the rules if you want to play solo. But it is worth it. It is definitely worth it. Now that we talk about the gameplay, let's jump into my favorite section, which is if we rather play this game solo or cooperative, which in this case will be solo or competitive. So let's go over there. Solo or cooperative. So now in this case is solo or competitive. But first, before we jump into conclusions, let's see how we rather play this game and what do we like from the game and what we don't like from the game. Jonathan, what do you like and what you don't like from Scythe? Um, well, along with the theme of the podcast so far, there's not going to be much that I don't like about the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but along with the theme for me, um, you know, I think one of the, the core things is how they do combine kind of that rural 1920s-ish you know, Russian setting with the futuristic mechs. I think it's kind of a cool combination that you really wouldn't think of. Um, but it, but it works for you know what you do in the game, um, and for me I really like it. You know, having grown up watching you know a lot, you know some anime shows that have more of like the mechs. A lot of times those were in space, but it's still kind of that that mech fight where you kind of get the that cool dynamic with the different abilities um, that you have, and every faction has you know some overlapping abilities with the mechs, but each one also has different ones. So you know it's kind of cool to learn how those work. Um, and how you can kind of optimize what the mechs do. And I feel like every time it's different, you know, when you play a different character and faction. Um, some of the other things I like is, um, you know, the worker placement choices. Like Caleb said, you know, you have the, the four different things that you can do each time and you have to rotate, but that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, you have to do all four of those throughout the whole game. So if you have a certain strategy, you can, you know, move around and produce, or you can move around, gain power, fight people. So I think that... Um, setup where you do have to choose a different action each turn you know it kind of forces you to you know do different things but you can still strategize and, and kind of customize your um your gameplay um with that as well um and then like i said before just the various win conditions so you know you can be the the one that's going to go fight win battles you know win the stars for that or you can, can complete one of your specific objectives deploy all your mechs you know there, there's you know tons of different things you can do and I, so you know, when you play, I don't feel like, you know, I'm overwhelmed because Derek's already a military power. I feel like, you know, I can I can do something else or, you know, I can specialize in something else. And I still feel like that I'm competitive in that game, even though, you know, like last game you beat me in all the battles that we had. I still got to do things. I don't feel like any of us, you know, focusing on any one thing made it a lesser experience for the others. Um, yeah, so I thought that it's very well balanced how they have that, too. So pretty much, there, there's nothing that you don't like from the game, right? Not that I can, not that I can really think of. Um, Probably just that I that I kick your guys back to base a couple of times. Well, that's fine. I mean, you know me; I was <laughs> a backup plan, so I think I think it was, uh, you know, Karma at the and Caleb beat both of us, and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I I agree with with your with the things that you like. What about you, Kelly? What do you like? What you don't like from sight? 
Yeah, I think maybe my favorite thing about the game is that it lets. So we all, we all have different play styles. Uh, Jonathan tends to like find cool combinations that he can bust out that you know seem game breaking, but he's been planning for them the whole time to unleash <laughs> unleash on us. Um, you know, I'm definitely more about sort of engine building, and uh, uh, I'm not nearly as uh, interested in combat. And then Derek, you are definitely like, let's go kill people, let's go, you know, have of fun, course. Yeah. jump around. Um, and, and I feel like we can all do our own thing in this game, and especially with the combat. Some games you play, you almost have to have a group agreement of how you're going to handle the game. Because if some people want to build an engine, and then somebody comes over and just starts attacking you, you can sometimes feel like your game is ruined. Like, hey, you know, that's not the experience that I wanted. Even though you're playing within the rules, I feel like you're not in the spirit of what our group wants to do right now, and that can cause you know some conflict or disappointment. And this game is not like that at all because, you know, even though I definitely feel the threat <laughs> looming over me that you might stop me at any time, uh, there are penalties to doing that. So, you know, if you attack my villages and you make my farmers go back home, you lose popularity and that's going to cost you in the long run. So, yeah, you might yeah. gain a star, but maybe you're not going to be as popular. So, um, you know, and, and the way the combat works, I don't think we talked about this earlier, but. No, no, combat, no, we didn't. It's, it's a good time now to, to talk about the combat. Yeah. Yeah, it's, super, it's a really simple combat. I, I'm, I think I've heard that it's not original to side. I haven't played any other games that use this. But basically you have um, uh, combat where you have a combat value. So you uh, are increasing your military strength. So let's say I have five strength and Derek has uh, you know, eight strength. So obviously he's at an advantage. Um, and basically we have these little wheels that we can set secretly and i'm going to bid an amount of uh, military strength that uh, i want to contribute to this fight and he does the same thing now if i choose all five of my fight uh and he decides to play it safe and maybe he only gives up uh you know two of his fight then i still have a chance of winning um but me knowing that you know he's probably not going to make that mistake maybe i'll bet just one fight uh and then he will think well kale give me five I really better bid, you know, bid at least six. That way I'll definitely beat him. But then now all of a sudden I have more strength than he does. So there's a sort of like bluffing, like I know that you know that I know that, you know, things can go different ways. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know that I know everything, right? <laughs> yeah. And then, and then beyond that, you also have these uh, combat cards that you get that um, help add to your uh, strength value. So I might have very little combat actually showing on the board, but maybe I have a really awesome combat card and then maybe it's the opposite for you so there's always this threat like even when you are feeling like the super powerful guy there's a chance you might lose or you may win at great cost so uh i think this game does a fantastic job of uh, letting both kinds of players uh you know get what they want to out of the game yeah um, and another thing i like about the game is even though this game has a has a I guess sort of a steep learning curve it's, it's honestly one of those things that when i first tried to learn it i felt very overwhelmed and now that I know it, I feel like it's not that overwhelming. I feel like, um, you know, it, it's not as complex as other games because uh, a lot of the complexity comes through, you know, in the interactions with other players. But not, it's not one of those games where you're constantly looking at the rule book. Like, once you know the rules, it plays pretty smoothly. Um, and, that, you know, we talked about some of the design decisions earlier that Jamie Stegmeyer made. Um, you know, if you're playing with new players, you can basically... He, he sort of gives you a path for here's how you teach side and you give them a new player card and it gives them something to do on their first turn. So basically, you know, we talked about those four actions. You tell each player, look, you know, for the first time around the table, everybody choose a different action. That way we can all see what the actions do. And then if you turn your card over 
it'll give you sort of some goals that you should strive towards in your next few turns. So they sort of have a, you know, a task that they're going towards and a pathway. Uh, and then by the time they get to that, they've sort of learned a lot of the me uh, mechanisms of the game. So it, there's a lot of clever things built in to make it, you know, learning easier. Um, I think, did you guys feel like it was an easy game to, to learn once we started or what, what did I you do, think of the learning curve? I do feel that it was an easy game to, to start, but also you're right. Like if you're showing, I also feel like if you're showing this to probably somebody that doesn't play too much, too many games, um, it would be a little bit overwhelming. But if that's the case, you can always show them a little side. It's a great game too by Stone yeah. Meyer. Um, but I don't, I don't think it was that, that complex. What do you think, Jonathan? You think it was very complex? I don't think so. Um, I mean, I do remember when we first played it and we did use those cards, but then, you know, we just kind of went from there and, you know, I think it just took a couple turns and we at least had a good enough idea to get away from those. And then, you know, it had been a while since we played again. And the last time we played, you know, I don't think we used those at all. We, <coughs> we just jumped right into it and, you know, mm -hmm. it wasn't hard to pick back up at all. No, yeah, I, I totally agree. Yeah. So um, anything anything else that you want to add that you like or you don't like from the game? Uh, Caleb, I know there's a lot of things that we like from the game, but I sure. would be more interested in hearing, like, if there's anything that you don't like from the game. Yeah, I mean, I guess the only thing, I, I, I still like the solo mode, but I feel like I don't like the solo mode uh, what? I want it to. Just because it doesn't feel, I can't look at the board and intuit, like, okay, this guy's coming after me. And it's like super obvious what I should do as far as, you know, I guess every time I draw one of those cards, I'm still like learning. Okay, this means he's going to go here. Does he qualify to move? Yes, he does. Which neighborhood? And like, it's not clear <laughs> to me, you know, the progression of the AI. And, you know, yeah. I will say I played it three times solo, but every time I played it, it, it had been months since I had played it again. So I've never played like multiple games in a row to where maybe some of that would start to fall away. Um, mm -hmm. But I guess, you know, that's sort of the bad thing of the solo for me, at least so far, is that it doesn't play as smoothly. And part of that's because, like, when you play the game competitively, it plays really smoothly. Like, um, you know, as I'm taking, you choose your top row and bottom row action. But one one clever thing is the top row action is very simple, typically. So you choose yeah. the action, and you can think about what you're going to do, you know, as it's going around the table. So when it's your turn, generally you know what you want to do already. You're not just thinking right now about what to start to do. So you'll choose your top row action, you'll you know do that really quickly, and then now as you're doing your bottom row action, in like 99% of the cases, the next player can start their turn, and then you're finishing your bottom row action because you know it's not necessarily going to affect what that player is going to do. So even though there's a lot to do on your turn, uh, the turns go really quickly, and I think it plays you know really super smoothly for that. Yeah, no, I, I I'm surprised because I think the solo mode it's amazing. I love it definitely. Um, this is probably talking about Euro games. Definitely, this is probably my favorite solo Euro game. And then after this, will probably be Robinson Crusoe for Mignasi at Trezevich. But I love it. I just love the solo mode. I love how the uh, Automa works. I love I love the, the complexity about it. I love the mechanics of the uh, transportation of the AI around the table. I just love it. Uh, and honestly. I don't think there's anything that I don't like from this game. Probably the only thing that I don't like from this game is that it's too short. <laughs> I wish it could be longer. And every every gameplay, every time that we play it, it's just um, it's it's very unique. It's very different to anything that I have played before. Um, like I said, there's nothing I don't like. Probably if I had to say something, it would be uh, the cardboard uh, coins 
because you get all the other things in wooden and I would love it more if you can get instead of wooden talk I mean uh, cardboard talk, uh, coins you would get like real coins but also you can get the upgrades uh, and it's they're very affordable and you can get regular coins for your side game so surprisingly this is one of the games that I don't have anything wrong to say about it or anything anything that I don't that I don't like from the game is it's just for me it's one of my top definitely uh, like I said, solo games and also a um, competitive game. And now that we are in that territory, I would like to ask you, Caleb, would you rather play this game uh, competitive or solo? Uh, definitely competitive for me. And yeah. I like the I like the looking around the board and trying to figure out what <laughs> my friends are going to do versus yeah. uh, you know trying to think about the AI deck. I just think you know the the best thing the AI can do is try to be a human. So I might as well just play with a human. I feel like at that point. What about you, Jonathan? It makes sense. He's he's always bringing all this philosophy to the to the table. What about what about you, Jonathan? What do you think? I would agree, though. Um, I mean, even every time we've played, it's been different. And um, you know, I try to strategize, and you know, I think I know what you guys are going to do, and I don't always um, plan accordingly. Um, so I think it's kind of that unpredictability in this game is you know would make it better for the competitive you know version of it. But I think it's also one of those games where if you do play it competitive and, you know, we are going against each other, I don't feel like it's, you know, so cutthroat that it's not fun. Um, I think mm-hmm. it is a game that, you know, I like, even though, you know, I may not be winning. And, um, you know, even last time when you, you know, had the military power and you kept beating me, like I still had fun trying to figure out other strategies, how to get around that. And I feel like there may not be as much opportunity to do that with the solo version. So I think I'd rather play, you know, competitively versus solo. For me, honestly, I will go both. I love both at the same level. I love playing competitive. I love playing it with you. But I also love it playing it at home in a solo mode. I just love it. I mean, it's hard for me to choose right now if if I'd rather play this game competitive or solo because both ways are great for me. And I do think that this is a game that I would recommend also for exclusively solo board gamers. Don't you think, Caleb, that would you recommend this game for solo board gamers? Exclusively think, solo board gamers. Yeah, I, th- I think I'd still put it in the recommend category, especially since, you know, if you can get it for cheaper on Amazon. And I think mm-hmm. that Sidekick app, just from looking at what people were saying about it on BGG, I think would probably bump up my uh, rating of the solo game. So I'm, I'm excited yeah. to try it again with that Sidekick app. Now, uh, let's let's talk about the, about the ratings. Caleb, you're the man in charge. You're the, the man in charge of this special, particular great job. Tell us about the ratings. Yeah, so we use a Netflix old rating system. So one is that you hated the game, and five is that you love the game. Um, yeah. Uh, I think three is basically you liked it. So three is right there in the middle. Uh, mm-hmm. So for me, I think this is um, probably a four, uh, maybe a 4.5. It's a game yeah. that I think I want to play. You know, I, I'm pretty much never going to turn down a game of this on game night. Uh, I think it's one of those systems that's got a lot to offer and will continue to have a lot to offer uh, for many plays to come. So, uh, yeah, I think a 4.5 for me. What about you, Jonathan? I'd put it um, probably at a four. Uh, I think this is one that I really do like it, and I like the um, variety that we get every time. And this is one that, you know, every, I feel like almost every game night we always say at the end after we play something different, we need to get Scythe back to the table. And I feel like every time we do, we really enjoy it. So I think, you know, this would be a, a solid four for me. Okay. And, you know, before we start the show, when we were talking about, all the things and crazy things that we were going to say. Um, I 
ta- I told you guys that I probably for me this game was going to be a 4.8, but I think I'm just going to go with a solid five. I just love it. It's I I can play it every board game night. I don't care. Um, I can play the solo mode tons of times too. So I will give it a solid five. I love it. Uh, from Stonemaier Games side is just probably one of the well, not probably it's for sure one of the candidates to to be one of my top two or three games for this 2000 and 2018. So I just I just love it. A- everything about the game, I love it. Um, now let's talk about the weight of the game, and this is from BoardGameGeek.com when uh, they use a five-point weight scale going all the way from light to heavy. What would you classify this game, Jonathan? Do you think it's a medium, medium heavy? What do you think? Um, I'd probably call it a medium. I think, you know, at, at first glance, when you try to learn the rules, it may seem heavier than it is. But um, once you kind of learn the way the game works and kind of the intricacies of everything that you can do, I think it's, you know, it's probably right in the middle out of a medium. You know, I don't feel like it's, you know, as heavy or, you know, I don't end up playing the game where I feel like, you know, you finish the game and you kind of get this weight out of playing this game, but I don't feel like it's, you know, a light game that, um, you know, kind of be more of a filler, um, anything like that. I think there's enough strategy that we can each have and enough intricate details that would kind of put it right in the middle. Yeah, I agree. What about you, Kellen? Uh, I'd say it, probably, it feels like a heavy game when you're first, you know, encountering <laughs> it, but yeah. it, probably, it probably lands at like medium heavy. A lot of that just uh, you know, comes down to the smoothness. Uh, you know, one thing I also didn't mention when you're learning it is there are certain things built into the game that help make learning and remembering the rules easier. So, for example, factions have an ability. So one faction uh, says you can choose the same section on your playmat, you know, multiple times in a row. So when you see that one person has that ability, it's like a, uh, a reminder to you that, oh, yeah, the rest of us aren't allowed to do that. Uh, another yeah. player can move his workers across rivers uh, and just like, oh, you can do that? Oh, yeah, that means I can't do that. So uh, it, it is a game that once you learn it, I think it's like riding a bike when you come back to it. Uh, it's pretty simple <laughs> yeah. to get back in. I, I like the example of riding a bike, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I will put it probably to it, like Jonathan at Medium. I think also, like you said, at the beginning, it could be super overwhelming. You could be like, oh, my God, this is too complex. It's like, uh, if, especially for somebody that doesn't play games, probably they will be scared at the beginning. Uh, but then as as soon as you, I mean, uh, as long as you keep playing the game, it goes all the way to medium, in my opinion. Um, so I think, I mean, just to, to finish the show and, you know, to give our last impressions, um, in this episode, we didn't talk about, about the expansions or one of the things that I love from the game that it's, that we started to play uh, the other day, which is the campaign, the Rise of Fenris, which I hope in one of our future episodes we can talk also about that uh, campaign mode. But, you know, there's a lot, a lot of out there that this game can offer still. Like, I see this game going forward for many, many, many years with expansions and all that stuff. Yeah, I think we... I, I can't let you leave, Derek, without talking a little bit about my little side. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I, 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 I already got it from my wife, dude. It's... It's a yeah. great game as well. It's yeah. so great. It's yeah, got to be one of my favorite family games. I played it, you know, with my kids. I played it with my wife. I played it with my sister and my cousin. I played it uh, <laughs> in all adult groups. I just played it again this weekend with uh, uh, my nephews, and they saw the box. And you know, they're three boys who love, you know, Call of Duty and uh, you know Fortnite. And they saw the box and they go, "Oh, it's so cute. Let's play that. Yeah. Game. Let's play that game." So, yeah. you know, it, it basically uh, has a simpler version of the regular side mechanics. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's a great way of learning this, you know, the main ideas of side. Uh, and it's just a fantastic game on its own. So 
Uh, as far yeah. as family weight games go, that one is a huge high recommendation for me as well. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, you guys know me that uh, if we're playing a game and you say something like, oh, the game is cute, it's like for me, I'm flipping the table already. Like, nope, yeah. I'm not going to play it. <laughs> <laughs> and my little side, I mean, it is cute, but it's it's super fun too. I mean, it's yeah. I mean it's it, it's weird because it, it, it gives you the feeling that you're playing a little bit of side. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess my little side, it makes sense. But in a very simple way. So it's it's also a very great game from Stonemeyers, my little side. And for every one of you guys that are you listening, if you have little kids, it's definitely a game that you should get in order to play with them. It's you will have a great experience. Um, Jonathan, have you played my little side? I don't I don't recall if you tried or not. If I not, have, not we, well, you will be surprised, my friend. You'll it's really good. You'll, yeah, <laughs> it's very good and very competitive as well. So, guys, do you want to add anything else about the game or about the show? No, I think this is a home run of a game, so we all yeah, agree. I agree. Yep. Jonathan, thanks to be in another beautiful night with us, even if it's through the through the Skype and about this game that we all like a lot. Thanks for having me. There you go. I, I like how, how uh, politely you are, Jonathan Caleb. Yeah. We will do it again, my friend. Okay, sounds good. Alrighty, and for all of you, uh, please, please subscribe. Uh, if you're listening through iTunes, subscribe to this uh, podcast. Give us a review. That helps a lot. Also, uh, remember that if you have some friends that they don't have any of the iOS devices, they can also hear us through Spotify, Google Play, or uh, they, we will soon have our YouTube uh, channel with all the episodes as well. And remember, for victory, go tell your friends. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Solo BG Podcast. Till next time, see you through the speaker and at the tabletop. Mm-hmm.